Hey, welcome to the Impact Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you like it was to us. Let's go ahead and jump into it. And tonight I want you to go to Acts chapter 15. And I want to preach about uh, what I feel like the Lord spoke to me about what God is building. This conference is called Impact, but the focus this year is Arise and Build. How many know that there's a time to build? We are living in a time of building. God is broadening. God is birthing. God is expanding his kingdom. If you like what has always been and are are nervous about what God's getting ready to do, I came to challenge you tonight and tell you the best is not behind us. The best is still yet to come. Yeah, the best is still yet to come. And we're going to press into that tonight, and I'm not, going, I'm not going to talk about the good old days. I'm thankful for the good old days, but my windshield is bigger than my rearview mirror because where God is taking us is bigger than where God brought us from. Say yes, somebody in this room. And so I want to talk about what God is building, and I want to preach a message for a few minutes tonight called Greater Dimensions, Acts chapter 15, verse 1. I'm going to read you 18 verses of Scripture. I expect and anticipate that you will read along with me. Uh, How many know we need the Bible in the church? Someone say amen. And uh, I'm going to break homiletic rules, and I'm going to read more verses than they told me to read in Bible school. But the Bible's good for the soul. Somebody say amen. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy to come to all the brethren and when they had come to Jerusalem they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders say the apostles and the elders and they reported thing the things that God had done with them how many know God does it with you uh-huh we know that God does the work but he's got to have somebody to work with look at somebody tell them work with God come on tell your neighbor work with God the Bible said God worked with them I like that And some of the sect, verse 5, of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and the elders, say the apostles and the elders. They came together to consider this matter and when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit. How many are thankful God is still giving the Holy Spirit? Somebody say amen. He said God gave the Gentiles the Holy Spirit just as he did to us Jews and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God, putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither us nor our fathers were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. 
And after that, they had become silent. And James, we know from history, this is James the lesser, the half-brother of Jesus, answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Look at your neighbor say, Linda, Linda, listen to me. Come on, Linda, Linda. Y'all know what that is. Linda, listen to me. How many know God is trying to talk to us, but we who have ears have to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying? Say amen, church. He said, men and brethren, listen to me. This is James the Lesser talking. He said, Simon has declared, verse 14, at the first, how God visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. Verse 16, how many in your Bible have a, a Bible version where the next thing I'm getting ready to read in verse 16 is either italicized or indented? Lift your hand. Lift your hand. The re Some of you don't have a Bible. Just take my word for it. It's like this. It's either italicized or indented because what he's getting ready to say is an Old Testament quotation that was taken from the book of Amos and spoken in the New Testament. So when you're reading your Bible in the New Testament and you see words that are indented, it is typically and usually an indication that what is being said is an Old Testament prophecy brought into a New Testament situation. Verse 16 says, after this, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and will set it up so that the rest of mankind, say the rest of mankind, may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things known to God from eternity are all his works. I want us to look at verse 16, where James the Lesser quoted from the Old Testament prophet Amos and said, God, there was coming a day when God would return and rebuild the tabernacle of David. Lord, I'm gonna preach here tonight. And I wanna preach tonight about greater dimensions. Come on, shake hands with your neighbor right now and tell them, neighbor, what God is building has greater dimensions, come on. I want you to stretch your hand toward me and pray for me. You praise God tonight, but I want to tell you right now, our prayer, praise life should never exceed our prayer life. Somebody say amen. I want you to get loud and turn your volume up and let's pray for one another in this room for a moment as we get ready to preach the word of the Lord together. Father, I thank you that heaven is going to kiss earth tonight. And somehow by your grace right in this room tonight is going to be the place where mercy mercy and truth prevail i thank you that in this place tonight grace is going to prevail uh-huh i thank you that tonight you're going to set the captive free and you're going to loose the chain and break every yoke may the anointing that sets us free descend on us even in the preaching of the word jesus i pray you be glorified now pray god a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you would rest on these people I pray that it would not just be a man talking to a people, but it would be a people hearing from the very voice of God. So unto you be the glory, both now and forever, to the only King, the immortal, the great and omnipotent one. We give you praise in advance for what you're going to do. What you've started, you'll finish. What you began, you will complete. And I thank you that every devil is under our feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. If you believe it, shout amen. I said, if you believe it, shout amen. 
You may be seated. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 15. Right in the middle of the book of Acts. Is an excerpt of the history of the early church that theologians and historians call the Jerusalem Council. This 15th chapter of Acts is called the Jerusalem Council. And I think it's important, even for all of the sons and daughters and the young ladies and the young men in this house, you know, sometimes we preach and we think we gotta dumb things down. So, but I think you just you you you're just ready for the word and the truth. Amen. How many know the word and the truth pull us toward it? We don't have to bring God down to our level. The word lifts us up. Somebody say amen. This is the Jerusalem Council. I think it's important for you to understand how we got to a place in Acts chapter 15 where apostles and elders and leaders of the church are having a meeting trying to determine what God is doing. Because what God was doing in Acts 15 was revolutionary. It had never happened before. And sometimes God will do things he's never done before. We like when God does what he's always done, but I want to tell you that Isaiah the prophet prepared us for the day and the hour that would come when God said, behold, I will do a new thing. Even now it shall spring forth. And being creatures of habit as I am and as everyone in this room is, we all have proclivities, we all have preferences, we all have favorite ways of doing things. And God has his own way of doing things. And sometimes we have to make up our mind that when the cloud is moving, we're not staying where we've been, we're moving with the cloud. Acts 15 is that moment in the church. God is, by this point in the book of Acts, the 15th chapter, we have entire cities that are blazing in the fires of revival. By this point in Acts chapter 15, entire people groups have been baptized into the body of Christ and lives are being transformed. Cities are being changed. The anointing is shattering yokes. Demons are getting cast out. Witches and warlocks are going out of business because Jesus was manifested according to 1 John 3, 8 to put the devil out of business. I'm afraid we teach coping skills in the church, how we cope with darkness. And I want to tell you, light never gets permission from darkness to shine. Whenever light shows up, darkness has one option. Darkness has to leave because we are the light of the world. We are not a city that is under a bushel. We're a city set on a hill. And if God ever filled you with light, how many know it's time to shine? And in Acts chapter 15, the gospel is exploding. Without a social media platform, without blue check marks, without marketing directors, without a satellite, without a printing press, the only thing these early church disciples and leaders had was a testimony and a prayer life. I'm going to blow your mind, but they didn't even have the Bible that you and I have tonight. The only Bible they had was the law and the prophets and the wisdom literature. They were in the middle of the final chapter that was being written. And because they had been with Jesus everywhere they went, they were running the devil out of business. And everything was fine. Everything was wonderful. We were talking about church growth. We are talking about increase. The church is exploding. They don't fit in the house anymore. They're spilling over into the streets. Uh, two chapters later, they would say, these are those that have turned the world upside down. Everything was okay until Acts chapter 15. What happened in Acts 15? What bird got in everybody's saddle? What problem arose in the church that caused a church meeting. I'll tell you what happened. 
people started getting saved who didn't look like the people in the church. I'm getting ready to say some stuff in here tonight. People started getting saved out of the Gentile realm. Now, it's one thing when the Jewish kosher people who know the Levitical order and they understand the Old Testament customs and they understand how it is to live kosher, clean, uh, pure lives, uh -huh, and they come to church and they look churchy and they got their church thing together. But now we got a problem in Acts 15 because strange flesh is coming in the church. People who don't know how to quote the Bible. Y'all not talking to me. In fact, some of y'all look offended. I'm just in the introduction. If this is offending you I come to offend and I come to run the religion right out of this place and to tell everybody in this church you are not the, you are not the king of glory this is not your church it's not our church it is the Lord's church he said on this rock I'll build it and the gates of hell will not prevail against it slap your neighbor tell your neighbor God's getting ready to do something you've never seen him do before Gentiles are getting saved what do we do when Je it's one thing when mama and them who we've been praying for for 20 years coming and get saved it's another thing when they walk off the strip pole on friday and get oh yeah y'all can't handle this one it's another thing when they burn their joints and they throw their bud but ain't getting no wiser when they throw that away it's one thing when they walk out of darkness and into the light and we the church people are sitting there going they ain't saved The Pharisees. Your Bible said a set of the Pharisees said they're not saved. Well, Brother Pharisee, why not? Why are they not saved? Because they didn't get it like I got it. Oh God. You brought me here to do this to me, Lord. They didn't get it like I got it. And because they didn't get it like I got it, they don't have what I have. Sister Yay Yay, Brother Flip Flop, let me tell you something. I am grateful for the way I got it. I got it with Sister Pat on my right and Mama Dot on my left. One of them was telling me to hold on and the other one was telling me to turn loose. She touched me on the bottom of my chin and started patting my chin and I felt something well up on the inside of me while I was singing, I fly away and I got baptized in the Holy Ghost and I started speaking in other tongues. I am thankful for the way I got it. I'm thankful for the prayer meetings I went to as a teenager. Don't feel sorry for me that I was raised in the church. Don't feel sorry for me that I was a virgin when I got married. Don't feel sorry for me that I had never been drunk. I had never been high except on the Holy Ghost. Don't feel sorry for me that I wasn't caught up in the gossip train. Don't feel sorry. No, no, no. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm thankful for the way I got it. But I want to tell you something. The way I got it was good for me. And I refuse to become a Pharisee who judges other people and says because you didn't get it like I got it, you don't have what I have. I want to set somebody in this room free. If you love Jesus, I want you to know he loves you more and the best days of your life are in front of you. And now because Gentiles, polytheistic, many-godded Gentiles, Hope this is okay, Pastor Tom. Prostituting Gentiles, perverted, 
orgy engaging Gentiles. That's what they were. They were coming out of sex temples and were coming into the church and all things were being. I feel like preaching in this room because there's someone in here who thinks because you weren't as messed up as a Gentile, you're not quite as bad as they were. I want to tell you that I don't care if you've got all nine gifts of the Spirit. I don't care if you were 10 months old when you started speaking in tongues. Everybody in this room was a wretch. You were on your way to hell. You were about to bust it wide open and when nothing else could help love lifted me somebody I don't care how much you've arrived I want you to think back to the night he saved you and somebody give him glory that you're born again and a citizen of the kingdom I'm trying to calm down here so the Gentiles are getting saved and what happens when God begins to do something he's never done? We have church meetings. We have to have church meetings to talk about our opinion of what God is doing that we've never seen him do and we're not quite sure if we like it. So they have a meeting and they come to Jerusalem to talk about the new members joining the church. Sister Ye Ye, Deacon Flip Flop, they all get in a room and there's a great deal of dissension. Imagine that. Can I tell you what divides the church? I tell you what divides the church more than color. Yeah, I'm leaving tonight. I don't care if you like it or not. I'll tell you what divides the church more than color it's preference. We believe we have a monopoly on the things of God and that our ways are the only ways when we forgot the fact that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are high. I wish I could find some help. I'm just going to preach the word to you. I'm not going to preach my opinion to you. I'm going to preach the Bible. Let God be true and every man be a liar. Let me lay down tonight knowing my heart is in love with truth and not in love with my favorite thing. So they have a meeting and the church is divided over the difference of opinion and they start talking about all the Gentiles coming in and the Pharisees say they did, they're not really saved. Why not? Because they didn't get circumcised. And so they start arguing about it. And in order to settle the, the family of God, the Bible says that the elders and the apostles came together. Say elders and apostles. I want to teach this to you. It's interesting to me that when it came time for someone to stand up and articulate what was happening, not one person who spoke was an elder. Every person who spoke, read the text, was an apostle. Why is that significant to me? Because elders and apostles, although both are leaders and both are needed, let me tell you why both are needed. The church cannot ever become a unigenerational church. He's not just the God of Abraham. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not just the God of Jacob. Jacob needs Abraham's testimony. 
We need some seasoned saints. We don't have old people in the church. We have seasoned saints. We, I'm thankful for a youth conference, but I want to tell you, you're going back Sunday to a church where there's some nanas and pepals and some abuelas and abuelos. Come on, somebody. There's some pepals and grannies. Why do we need them in the church? Well, number one, we need them in the church because not every breakthrough is coming through your TikTok feed and somewhere in your life, you're going to need an abuela who looks at you and says, oh no, that devil is not going to drive you crazy. You're going to need a grandma who's been in touch with the Holy Ghost to break the spirit of heaviness off of your life. And I just want to stand here tonight and thank God for all of the seasoned saints who prayed us through and were shouting when they talked about you. And when you were speaking in tongues, they were trying to shut it down. And instead of going home, you took one step deeper out into the river and said, come hell or high water, I'm going with the Holy Ghost all the way. We need elders. The Greek word, let me teach, the Greek word for elder is presbyteros. It literally means advanced in years, aged ones, ones with experience. Well, I'm so hip. You need some people with a testimony in your life. You know who helped my church get through COVID? Wasn't all the cool hipsters, they were scared to death. You know who helped my church get through COVID? All them holiness mamas in my church. I'm serious. When I about had a nervous breakdown, they'd call me. Lord woke me up for you this morning, Bishop. We're coming out of this COVID thing with victory. The devil wants you to think it's gonna close the church, but it ain't gonna. I'm gonna preach in this building tonight. I'm gonna preach to that dry heaviness that's sitting on some people that still wants you to think that devil wants some of y'all to think that the church is in trouble. Don't you believe it for a minute. The church of the living God is not going under. We're not going to back up, shut up, let up, or give up. I'm going to get prayed up because I believe I'm getting ready to hear a sound that's going to cause me to get called up. Mamas prayed us through. Those, those elders in my church, they pulled us. We need them. You need them. Don't despise them. Honor them. <laughs> I'll never forget growing up in a holiness. I grew up in holiness church. It wasn't Appalachia holiness, but it was holiness. <laughs> I remember going to prayer meetings on Sunday night at 5 o'clock, Pastor Tom, before church started. 5 o'clock. Church started at 6. Men prayed in the left prayer room. Women prayed in the right. I was 15 years old, sitting on them benches with them men of God. They start rocking. I, I never rocked. But they started rocking, so they started feeling that prayer wheel thing, and I rocked with them. Brother Tommy would say, Lord, and he'd shake his head. Lord, I'll never forget as long as I live. It's, in, it's engraved on my mind. They would pray. And we would come out at 555 ready to storm hell with a water pistol. 
One night that man of God, Brother Tommy, was praying the, playing the organ. He stood up and started preaching from the organ. His teeth flew out of his mouth. In the middle of a hallelujah, he went, hallelujah, and the teeth flew out. He caught them and threw them back in and said, hallelujah, and he kept on preaching. His wife, Sister Pat Quinn, she was getting her feet washed in a foot washing service. Her teeth fell in the foot washing bowl. The women started screaming. The men thought it was the Holy Ghost, and we went into a three-night revival. That's the kind of thing I'm thankful for. Slap your neighbor, tell him we need the Abraham generation. But it was not, hear me, the elders who provided clarity and definition in the moment of confusion. Listen, we need them. But when it came time to articulate to a confused people what was happening, it was the apostles. Why? Because elders speak from experience. Apostles speak from a kingdom perspective. And if God does something he's always done the way he's always do, doing it, then experience is fine. But if he ever does something he's never done before, you can't go back to your experience to articulate the new thing that God is doing. It requires that you see the new blueprint that God is building in when I say new, I'm not talking about different than Jesus. When I say new, I'm not talking about different than the Holy Ghost. When I say new, I'm talking about it not staying in a building but getting out into the streets. When I say new, I'm talking about us not just trying to get mama and grandpa saved, but judges and presidents and doctors and sports agents and sports. Come on, somebody. There is no safe place for the devil in our generation. Jesus is coming to every Every mountain of culture and he's putting the flag of the kingdom on every mountain and he's telling the devil for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish have everlasting life apostles walked to the to the pulpit and started testifying about what God was doing and the last one to speak was James the lesser the half-brother of Jesus, an apostle in the kingdom, who was, he was not lesser because he was not as important. Historians and theologians believe he was either lesser because he was small in stature, or he was lesser because he was the youngest in his family. Whatever the case, the reality of it is, God began to speak through this apostle. What? The body said, what is happening in our day? There is no safe place for the devil. Everybody's getting saved. They're coming out of sin and they're coming into the kingdom. They're coming out of their old lifestyle and they're coming into the church. What is going on? We can handle it when Jews get saved, but what about these Gentiles? And James walks to the pulpit of the Jerusalem council. He's older now and he leans over that lectern. I can see him and he quiets the people. And they're wanting to know what's happening. I feel the Holy Ghost beginning to settle. And he said to them, I know what's happening. God is doing what he said he was going to do. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What do you mean he's doing what he said he was going to do? Oh, yeah, he said he was going to do this 900 years ago. This isn't 
just a new thing. It's a new old thing. I lost you. It's not some newfangled thing. Actually, what I see God doing is going into the closet of the kingdom and going for the blueprint of an edifice that he loved to hang out in in the Old Testament. If I were God and I were going to rebuild something in the New Testament from the Old Testament, I might have started with a more special kind of building. If I were God, it might have been the tabernacle of Moses. Right? I mean, the tabernacle of Moses is an amazing thing. I need one. I need one. I need one. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, help me, Pastor Rick. Help me, Pastor Rick. Don't take this out of my teaching time. He, he, he's wasting. Come on, thank you. Okay. The tabernacle of Moses in Exodus 23, 24, 25, it gives the dimensions of the tabernacle of Moses. It says, build it 50 cubits long and and 90 cubits long and 30 cubits high. I want you to have an outer court, an inner court, a holy place. And everything had a proper dimension. It would be easy to copy the dimensions of Moses' tabernacle and replicate those dimensions and get the tabernacle to look just like it looked like in Exodus over in the book of Acts. But God doesn't take the dimensions of Moses' tabernacle and replicate those dimensions in this book of Acts day. Why? Because God is not looking for earthly dimensions. This is how we're building churches now. We're taking other people's measurements. I can't find no help. We're taking other people's measurements. Oh, if you want to grow a church, make it 48 minutes long. Don't preach on sin. Don't get un anybody under conviction. Don't sing too many fast songs because they don't want to get uncomfortable. Don't sing a slow song because we don't want them to feel conviction. Just dimensions. You can grow a crowd, but not grow a people. I think, I'm, I, think the, I think the Lord is tired of big crowds and small Christians. I think the Lord would rather have, if, if, even if it means our crowds aren't what they used to be. I think God is looking not for mega churches. He's looking for mega believers. He's wanting to take some people who were lost and nobodies, raise them up and give them grace that surpasses all of their sin and turn a bunch of nobodies into a bunch of somebodies that turn the world upside down. Earthly, earthly dimensions. Why not Moses' tabernacle? Moses' tabernacle is not God's favorite place in the Old Testament. It was a necessary place, but it wasn't his favorite place. Why? If you go to Moses' tabernacle in the book of Exodus, it's a heavy place. It's a place of death. There's blood everywhere. There's wailing everywhere. There's the threat of dying priests because they're not holy and they didn't put on their linen breeches the correct way. No, Moses' tabernacle, although it was necessary and although the, tab although the tabernacle had the Ark of the Covenant, Moses' tabernacle is not God's favorite place. Why is it not God's favorite place?
place because Moses' tabernacle was continually on a treadmill of religion that annually, annually they had to get another another lamb. Annually they had to get another animal. One more year. Maybe we'll make it one more year. And God said, I'm tired of you waiting on your lamb. I got my own lamb. And when John, the, I feel the preacher getting on my neck right now. When John the Baptist was baptizing in the river Jordan, he looked to the crowd and said, time out. Wait just a minute. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. Let me tell you why I'm not building Moses' tabernacle. God's not building it because he's not looking for a lamb. You're not looking for a lamb. The lamb has already come. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lion of the tribe of Judah. I need somebody washed in the blood of the Lamb to forget about who's standing next to you and make a joyful noise that you've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. I gotta go. I gotta go. If I were God, I, I might build Moses' tabernacle. Moses' tabernacle had definite dimensions, but he doesn't build Moses' tabernacle. If I were God, I might even build Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple, according to 1 Chronicles 16, had definite dimensions. The peak of it on the inside rose to 210 feet, hundreds of feet long, hundreds of feet wide. Stones that were amazingly massive that were it was an absolute uh, wonder in its time when the queen of Sheba come to see the, the temple of Solomon the Bible said it took her breath away why would God not resurrect from dead ashes Solomon's temple I'll tell you why because Solomon's temple was about attracting people based on the grandeur of the building I'm thankful for every building God's given us. He's been good to us. I'm standing in a house that's a miracle. This place is absolutely amazing. Can somebody say amen? amen? But what a travesty it would be if we came to church just to be enamored by a building. Solomon's temple. Wow, it's amazing, isn't it? So massive. It's incredible, right? Forget about the Ark of the Covenant over there on the other side and the glory of the Lord. Look at the gold in the temple. And we got people who are trying to be so attractional. I got no problem with principles that work that don't violate the Bible. But when you disregard the presence of God in the name of growing a crowd, you've got, you bumped your head. God didn't rebuild Moses' tabernacle or Solomon's temple. Why? Because their buildings and their edifices were all about earthly dimensions. James said God's doing something else. He's building his favorite house. What in the world is God's favorite kind of house? I'm so glad you asked me. David's tent. I gotta be real for a minute. Dad, this is almost embarrassing. 
of all of the grandeur and majesty of God's kingdom in the Old Testament, God decides in his sovereignty that when it comes time for the new covenant to be revealed and the blueprint to be laid out on the table, it's not Moses' tabernacle, it's not Solomon's temple, it's not the tabernacle in Gibeah, it is David's temple. Why would James come to the lectern of the Jerusalem council and say, I know what God is building. He's building David's fallen down tent. Well, let's first of all start with this. Why did it fall down? You want to know why? Because religion didn't like it. Oh, I'm getting ready to preach right here. I said religion didn't like it. Do you understand that religion doesn't like most of the things God does? Religion doesn't like it when God saves somebody that's not on their radar. Religion doesn't like it when people sing an extra song that's not on the program. And religion doesn't like it when people cut out in the aisle and start running up and down aisles and they snap their neck and clap their hands and shout with the voice of triumph. In fact, you know you've got a Pharisee spirit in this room. If tonight while people were dancing, you started fouling your nails, checking your Twitter feed, and looking at those people dancing right down some long religious note, like you have the spirit of the WBI on you. What's the WBI? The Worship Bureau of Investigation. You think you were sent here tonight to judge everything and you looked at her while she danced and you said, that must be the flesh. I don't feel that. You looked at him while he was jumping and said, that must be the flesh. I've never seen it done like that before. I want to get you delivered from that tonight because you're going to miss the river of God as long as you sit there in a judgmental posture and judge everything that comes by. I just want to say this. You were not there the night the Lord delivered me. You were not there the night the Lord set me free. You were not there the night he broke the chain over my life. It would be impossible for you to know what was real. I didn't feel everything I gave him tonight, but I decided he was worth I wish somebody would just decide right now, he's worth it. I don't always do what I feel. I don't always feel what I do. But when I praise him, it's because my mind has been made up. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. I will come into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. Somebody bless his name. Somebody ought to help her praise the Lord. I feel a chain breaker in this room. I feel a yuck destroyer. Why don't we just take a surprise praise break right here in the middle of a sermon. Somebody let everything that has breath praise. Shake hands with four people and tell them, neighbor, you couldn't possibly understand this. You don't know how good he's been to me. When I look back, when I look back, when I look back, when I look back over my life, when I think things over, I can truly say that I've been blessed. Slap three more people and tell them I got a testimony. I got a testimony. Don't let the suit fool you. Don't let the cute shoe 
Don't let me be here on a Friday night, folks. I used to be hooked on dope. I used to be locked up in darkness. But if the sun makes you free, you shall, you shall, you shall be free indeed. I need to know who's not just free. Where are the people who are free indeed? Take 10 seconds. Praise them like you always wanted to. preach a few more minutes it's Friday night some of y'all were just getting started when you used to go to the hootenanny how many are glad to be in the house of the Lord on Friday night come on <clears throat> sit with me just a moment if you can don't let me quench anything he said God is rebuilding the torn down tabernacle of David and I have to be honest with you I want to know why I mean, we're, we're excited that we know it's David's tabernacle, but there has to be some theological underpinning, some truthful information that would help us to understand why God would choose the tabernacle of David that fell down in the old covenant and raise it back up in the new covenant. Why? Let me give you a couple of reasons and I'm going to get out your way. The first reason that God liked the tabernacle of David more than Moses' tabernacle and more than Solomon's temple is because David's tabernacle, his tent, did not have courts. Y'all know we got churches that love court systems. You can't get close. Why not? Because you just started here. And we need to keep you on the outer court. And then when you've been there for a few months and you go through our catechism, we say you could come into the inner court. Well, I don't just want to stay in the inner court. I really want to see the glory of God. You are not ready yet. So you just stay here till we give you permission to cross the red tape that we have put up. 
It's why they looked at the Pharisees and said, why do you put a yoke on them that neither us nor our fathers could bear? Why would he say that? Because their religious system had become so heavy, people couldn't operate under it. And God said, I'm tired of the court system. You know, as a preacher, you know when you stand and, and you step on somebody's territory. I feel some people with feathers getting ruffled. Slightly. So let me offend a bit more. Listen, listen. I remember before I got this revelation and God helped me to understand the kind of church he wanted me to lead. I remember people in my church who made it difficult for sinners to come in. Sinners would come in and take the seats of people who had been in my church for years. And they would come up to me or they, would, they actually never came up to me because religious people never go, never mind, okay. Uh, they, they always talk to other people who want to, yeah, you know what the religious people do, yeah. So they would go up to Sister Yeye and they would say, uh, that woman and her family got my seat. Let me help you something. You don't have no seat. You don't have a seat. <laughs> Everybody stand up real quick. Hurry, hurry, hurry. You know, turn around and touch your pew. Turn around and touch your pew. You feel that warm spot? That is not your contribution to the kingdom of God. That seat is not yours or mine. That seat is a potential landing place for a soul who doesn't know Jesus. And what we don't need is a bunch of people who have an entitlement. Okay, so if it, doesn't, if it ain't the seats, it's the parking places. And if it ain't the parking places, it is... Uh, can you please, there was this woman, God bless her soul, she got saved and when God saved her in our church, nobody groomed her. She didn't know when to shout. She was just thankful she wasn't hooked on narcotics anymore. And she would just stand up at the craziest time, the most unbefitting time, and she would just absolutely start crying and shouting and slobber going everywhere and people look at her. And I just stop what I'm doing and help her. Why would you help her? Because if God can't find people who've been in the church 40 years to give him radical praise, he'll go out there and get the leftover and the forgotten and the people you don't think deserve. He'll go save them. And he said, there will not be a rock crying out in this house. He said, I'm going to keep a fresh voice of thanksgiving. I feel like preaching here. I'm going to keep a fresh voice of thanksgiving in the house. We ought to be thankful when, when new converts come in and get saved. We ought not be intimidated. We ought not be nervous that they can sing better than we can or might, might be able to teach. Oh, oh. Sit down, the spirit of offending is on me. I'm going to let it rip. Have you ever seen people who put red tape up in courts? Uh, outer court, you ain't been saved long enough. Tell that to Aaron's rod. They cut Aaron's rod off the tree, threw it in the presence of the Lord, and overnight it budded and blossomed and brought forth fruit. How does something bud and blossom and bring forth fruit when you can disconnect it from the, from the root system? I'll tell you how. You put anything in the presence of the Lord, and I'm telling you, it don't take 40 years to gain wisdom if you're hanging out with wisdom in your prayer closet. Wisdom is not a thing. Wisdom is him. He 
when I'm trying to get my people to mature and disciple, you will never mature them and disciple them sitting around a donut table without the presence of the Lord. It is the presence of the Lord that a jerk a man who's been a child all of his life and when he becomes a man, he'll put away childish things. That's the presence of God. So, so God liked David's tabernacle, David, David's tent, because there were no courts. It was literally four posts with a big cloth on top. And underneath it was the Ark of the Covenant. You ready for this? It's the only time in the whole Old Testament Gentiles could come and see the ark of God. And here's what's crazy. You ready for this? It was accessible the entire time. The problem was nobody had a revelation of the goodness of God. I'm going to show you from the Bible. You ready? Okay, I'm going to show it to you. I don't know that sounds different. Yeah, it is because it's not what religion told us. But David said, created me clean heart, oh God, and renew. Who in the Old Testament had ever asked God to forgive them without the blood sacrifice of a lamb? Do you know why God forgave David? Because he had the audacity to believe God is good enough to wash my sin and cover it with hyssop and take it away. David had a revelation of mercy. And it took him a while to get it, but do you know what helped him get it? A Gentile. Obedidim the Gittite. I'm getting ready to preach a hole in this ceiling. Hallelujah. David got a revelation of the goodness of God by way of an accident. Do you remember this story? David became the king and when David became the king the Bible said the first thing he did as an order in his administration he went down and got from Kirith Jerim the Ark of the Covenant from the temple there and he marched it back on the back of a cart and everything was going well until it got to Naboth's vineyard hit a bump in the threshing floor and the Bible said that the Ark of the Covenant the oxen stumbled and the Ark began to bounce off and Uzzah put his hand on the ark and the Lord smote him and died. He died. Revival is not just about what lives. Revival is as much about what God's going to kill as it is what he's going to raise up. I didn't get no help on that, but flesh will not glory in this move. Flesh will not glory in this day. You won't come in with your convenient Christianity and get, oh yeah, and get the kind of oil that makes cancer dissolve and blind eyes open and drug addiction break off. Oh no, it's going to take the death of us so that God can raise up a church that's full of his glory. And when Uzzah died, it grieved the spirit of David. The Bible said it grieved him. And you know what happened? They took the Ark of the Covenant. Get ready to bless myself, Pastor Eric Petrie. They took the Ark of the Covenant down to a Gentile's house and dropped it off at the place of a man named Obadiah. The Gittite. Say Gittite. 
Gittite is the suffix for the word Gath. Gath is the city from which we always talk about Goliath came from. This man, Obadiah, was actually a Gentile who lived in Gath. So if he's a Gentile living in Gath, how does he get into the kingdom of God and live in Jerusalem? I'm so glad you asked. It happened because a king named David was running for his life from a man named Saul. And there was a season in his life when he ran where? To the kingdom of the Philistines. And he lived in the camp of the Philistines for a season because Saul, the demon-possessed king of Israel, was trying to kill him. And in order to preserve his life, he went to the Philistine camp and he acted mad. But when David finally heard that Saul was dead, he decided he would go back to Jerusalem. And there were about 600 Gentiles, I feel like preaching here, who were from the Philistine camp, who fell in love with David while he was in the Philistine camp. And when the king decided to go back to Jerusalem, they decided, I'm not living the rest of my life in the Philistine camp. I'm going to follow the king. I want to know in this room tonight how many people are thankful for the night that the king came by your camp. And when you saw the eyes of one who looked like flames of fire, you decided, I'm not living one more day in the camp of the Philistine. Wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever your people are, that will be my people. Your God will be my God and I'll worship with you. They went with David and stuck with the king. Slap your neighbor, tell your neighbor whatever you do, stick with the king. So they went back to Jerusalem and now there's a Gentile living in the camp of Jerusalem and when it came time for David to deal with his grief and confusion, he took the ark that was they thought responsible for the death of Uzzah and they parked it in the camp of Obadiah the Gittite for 90 days. Ooh. Tune me up, Julian. 90 days. They woke up in the morning, went into the living room, and the glory was in the living room. Every day, they ate lunch, went back to the living room to see the glory of the Lord. Went to bed at night, but before we go to bed at night, let's all make one more pass and put our eyes upon the Ark of the Covenant and feel that glory permeate every fiber of our being. Let me tell you what, Let me. this is not in your Bible, but it's extra biblical literature that is a companion to the text of the scripture. And here's what history tells us through the rabbis and the sages, that such a spirit of blessing and multiplication got on the house of Obadiah during those 90 days that Obadiah's daughters gave birth to a child every two weeks. A spirit, y'all didn't hear me. Uh, y'all didn't hear me. His own wife, who many probably thought were past child. I see sisters out here shaking your head like, you know, I bind the devil. Uh -huh. I'm not giving birth to a child every two weeks. Uh, oh, but when the spirit of multiplication gets on you, God will accelerate the work of the womb. And what it took years for some people to do, God will help you do it in a week. Y'all not helping me. What it took some people decades to get accomplished, God will help you get it done in a month. Uh, I'm telling you the days are, the, the Bible said in the book of Amos, 
that there's coming a time when the reaper will overtake the sower. God said, I'm going to move so fast it's going to blow your mind and make your head spin. God's about to touch some teenager in here. You're going to get an invention that's not just going to make you a millionaire. It's going to turn your generation upside down. It's going to be a blessing. You better catch what I'm telling you. God is about to put a spirit of blessing and favor on people who prioritize the presence of the Lord. I believe God is sick of people prioritizing everything else. God said, if you let my glory get in your house, I'll bless every womb in your house. I'll bless everything you put your hands on. What if I told you God was about to blow your mind? You better get ready for more than two or three services. You better go shopping for a new complex. God is about to turn. God is about to turn this thing all the way around. Somebody's been at the back of the line and you feel forgotten, but the Holy Ghost sent me from Chattanooga to tell you a spirit of multiplication and blessing is about to come up on your house. Pastor Tom, I believe God is about to send you a billionaire who is about to bless your hands at the work of this ministry. You've been wondering how you're gonna raise it. God told me you don't have to raise it. He's about to send it down. He's about to send it down. Touch your neighbor, tell him, neighbor, I think I'll take the blessing. I think I'll take the blessing. Send him on down. Send him on down. Lord, let the Holy Ghost come on down. Send him on down. Send him on down. Lord, let the Holy Ghost. I got to wrap up. I got to quit. For 90 days, the ark was in the house of Obadiah. And word got back to David. Obadiah's blessed. And David said, wait a minute. He didn't die? Oh, wait a minute. What you mean he didn't die? Why did he not die? Because God doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. But if you got a spirit of honor and you got a spirit of submission to the things of God, what killed other people? God will make it your blessing. I wish I could find some people in this room who will thank God that you might be the only one left out of your graduating class that ain't dead and in a grave. What killed everybody else caused you to rise. I need somebody to take 15 seconds and give God a praise for the blessing of the Lord that makes you rich and he adds no sorrow to it. Somebody shout yeah. liked it because there was no courts. He liked it because it was for all people but was also a place of pardon. The ark, the covenant was there and Gentiles could come. And there's one last reason I'm going to get out your hair or your extensions or your weave or your toupee or whatever you got. But the Bible says not only was it a place for all people, the Gentiles could come. Not only was it a place of pardon where sins could be forgiven but it was a place of praise. I'm going to say, say this to you. God will take quiet Christians. There are seasons where we all go through grieving. And we all go through seasons and times in our lives when we feel grief and heaviness and sorrow. But we have allowed the enemy to turn a season into a sentence. And we have allowed 
the enemy to turn what was supposed to be temporary into something that has now become a trend. <sighs> it is offensive when we come to church and we don't praise God. I know some people are going to write and tell me I'm, I'm shallow because you're, now you were talking about how, how emotional. You're all about emotion. Let me tell you something about emotion. If you don't have emotion when you praise God, you're not doing it right. I'm, I'm getting ready to say something right now that's going to blow some theological minds in this room. I hope you don't get mad, but I'm going to prove it to you from the Bible, so get mad at the Bible. The Bible did not say the Holy Ghost picked David's foot up and moved it. That's good preaching, Wallace. It does not say the Holy Ghost picked his foot up and made him dance. Why does it not say that? Because if God made him do it, it wouldn't have been a sacrifice of praise. I can't find no help in the church. Praise is not about what God makes you do. The problem with some people who come to church is not that God didn't make them praise. It's that they didn't look at him and call him worthy. If you ever look at him, I'm not talking about the person standing next to you. There's a reason why the angels never got bored crying, holy, holy, holy. It's because they circle the throne of the Lamb and every new revolution produces a fresh revelation and every time they pass by one more time they see another manifold piece of his majesty and splendor and they say I know we've been doing this for a million years but give me a million more he is still holy he is still holy he is still holy Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. If you come to church bored, it's because you're circling the wrong throne. If you, if you don't praise God when you come to church, it's not because the music wasn't good. It's not because the singing wasn't good. It's because you're circling the wrong throne. If you ever... If you ever circle the right throne, nobody has to beg you to praise him. Nobody has to ask you to worship. When you see eyes like fire, feet like brass, hair like wool, when you hear voice the sound of many waters, you don't need nobody to help you praise him. If nobody else gives him glory, he's too good of a God to sit down on him. Let everything that has breath praise ye. Praise him in the sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him in the heavens. Praise him on the stringed instruments. Praise him on the Hammond B3. Praise him on the cymbal. Praise him on the high sounding cymbal. Let everything that has breath, let everything, let everything, let everything, if you gotta close your eyes to do it, do it. But forget about what's happening around you. Get your eyes on the lamb. Open up your mouth. Let a river of living water flow out of your belly, praise. Somebody shout. Stay standing, I'm through preaching. I'm gonna, I'm gonna end with a Sunday school lesson.
I'm going to end with a Sunday school lesson, and then I'm going to go take my seat. If you don't know how to praise God, I'm going to give you seven ways to praise Him. Number one, Tehillah. Seven words for praise in the Old Testament. Number one, Tehillah. Everyone say Tehillah. Tehillah means to sing a Hallel or to sing a new song, especially a hymn of the Spirit. I found out that sometimes I like the songs that are in the book and the songs that they put on the wall, but sometimes I walk through a valley and their lyrics don't break me through. Sometimes I gotta sing my own song, a song that you've never heard. And the reason you don't know it is cause you didn't walk through the valley I'm coming through. But if you ever go through something and nobody understands your pain, don't worry about it when they don't understand your praise. If you knew what God had done for your neighbor, then when they begin to song, sing a song that's not on the screen, you would look at them funny. You would harmonize with them like Paul did with Silas. And in the middle of a jail cell, the Bible said they began to sing. I need somebody to open up your mouth and begin to sing a Tehillah praise. Take 30 seconds and write a song and begin to sing it to the Lord. Do it, it'll change your life. Do it, it'll break the yoke. Do it, it'll shift your atmosphere. Do it, it'll turn your situation around. Go ahead and dance, sweetheart. Somebody open up your mouth and sing. The next word for praise, is the Hebrew word zamar. And zamar means to pluck the strings in praise. Get them in a key and let's pluck the strings, brothers, come on. You say, Pastor, I can't do that, I don't have a string. You know you're right, you got two of them right here on your voice box. It's called vocal cords. Open up your mouth, let breath come over your string and somebody give God praise. I feel a breakthrough coming in. So Tehillah, somebody keep singing, somebody keep singing. Zamar, somebody keep playing. Number three, Barak. It means to kneel down and bless the Lord in an act of adoration. I need a young man and a young lady who's not ashamed to come up here and just get down on your knees somewhere up here in the altar and just begin to worship God. Just begin to, you gotta kneel. That's what, just a surrender act. That's what this is. You're not everybody, just a handful of you. Just come up and begin to praise God as you kneel before him. Number four, number four, Tauda. Tauda comes from the same principal root word as Yada, but more specifically, Tauda means to lift the hand in adoration and acceptance of the will of God. Somebody begin to lift your hands in surrender and adoration. 
to the goodness of God, the will of God. If you like what he's done, praise him with a tout. But if you don't understand what you've been going through and you still believe he's worthy, I'm telling you, when you lift up those hands and surrender, it's going to open up a fresh dimension of favor over your life. Number five, yada. Yada means to extend the hand and to throw the hand outward, to worship with the extension of the hand. The opposite is the act of bemoaning or the wringing of the hands. So whatever the opposite is of heaviness, use your hands and throw them up at God and begin to celebrate who he is and praise him with a lip. I feel somebody shaking off some heaviness. I feel somebody shaking off a bad report. I feel somebody getting over the depression. I feel somebody coming out of the heaviness. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Number six, ready for this? Number six is Shabbat. And Shabbat means to make a loud piercing shout in the direction of the one you're thankful to. Somebody let out a shout that pierces the... I need somebody on every road to shout and Shabbat God with the voice of triumph. Encourage your neighbor right now. Tell the neighbor walls fall down when you begin to shabak. Walls fall down when you begin to shabak. Okay, okay, my shanta. I feel the breakthrough of God in the house. I feel the Holy Ghost of God in heard the Holy Ghost say somebody shout for your children and your grandchildren. Yeah! That was number six. I gotta go after this one. But I feel like God is about to heal a cancer. I feel like God is about to break somebody out of a valley. I feel like God is about to set somebody free from a prison. Because the seventh word for praise is Hallel. And Hallel means to spin like you don't care what nobody thinks about it. To loose your feet, loose your feet, and let everything Thanks for listening. If you were blessed or encouraged, go ahead and subscribe to the Impact Podcast and share it with a friend to bless them too. Connect with us on Instagram at ImpactYM and remember, you can have as much of God as you want.